Hi friends, welcome to Bar of the Conference. I'm your host, Derek Scott III. Today's episode is with Effie McAvoy. Effie is an elder in the New England Annual Conference. She lives and serves in Rhode Island, where she's married to Tara. They have one son and two cats. Effie and I talked for almost two hours. Now this episode won't be nearly that long. But as a Black queer woman with a family, Effie sits at an intersection that, in my opinion, does not get enough attention. I was struck by how God's provenient grace has been active throughout Effie's story. From her formative years and her entrance into the UMC, to the ways that she thinks about ministry and our denomination. I left this interview with a great deal of gratitude because if this is the kind of person preaching in our pulpits, and if this is the kind of person sitting at tables of decision-making, then the United Methodist Church is a better denomination because of leaders like Effie. I think you're gonna really enjoy this episode. So grab that notebook, that choice beverage, and let's listen to this interview with Effie McAvoy. Effie McAvoy, how are you doing today? I am great, brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good because I get to spend some time listening to you and hearing some of your story and your perspective. And so thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know little bits and pieces about how you um, became a United Methodist Christian, but I'm curious if you could give me sort of a uh, a brief, but not super brief, um, just like God's provenient grace in your life, bringing you to faith and um, and then how you became a part of our church. So in the 70s, there was this movie by Steve Martin and it was called The Jerk. And the intro of the movie was, I was born a poor black child, right? Yes, and so, I have seen this movie. I have seen it, yes. <laughs> and so I was I was born in the 70s. Uh, my dad was a military guy. Met my mom when he was in service uh, out west. My dad is an East Coast person. He was born and raised and reared in North Carolina in the community of Fayetteville and, Cum Fayetteville and Cumberland County. And that's necessary for the story because oftentimes people think that I ended up in Fayetteville because of the military, but no, my people actually are from Fayetteville, North Carolina, Cumberland County on my dad's side. Um, my mother um, is was in California. My grandmother, who I'm named for, my name, grandmother Effie, who I'm named for, um, and her family immigrated out west after World War II. So they were down in Georgia, in the Columbus, Georgia area. And once again, not because of Fort Benning, but because of uh, that's where they were uh, enslaved and that's where they were freed and that's where they ended up at. Long story, made a little bit shorter. Um, so 
my dad and my mom meet in California. They get married. They have three children. My dad is during Vietnam. My dad's off somewhere in the in the in the wilds and everything, and back and forth in their relationship. Um, and uh, the marriage doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't last. And so my parents divorce. My dad moves back to North Carolina after he leaves the military, and my mother uh, goes home to California. Um, and until she has her babies. Well, my mom's not able to take care of her babies. So she places us with our great grandmother, Effie. Following me? Oh, yeah. I'm okay. following. Yeah. All right, great. So, because this is where it gets. Grandma Effie was a lady, was a woman who um, believed in Jesus and the power of prayer. She mm. was a church lady. She was a deaconess in the in the in the Baptist Church, uh, member, founding member of Second Baptist Church in a little community called uh, Paso Robles, California. Um, when that church was burnt down and questionable about that fire, they rebuilt the church. Right, mm -hmm. my grandmother was a part of all of that legacy, um, and everything. Mm. And so I was raised in the church. I was raised in the in Second Baptist Church. I was went through. Uh, Sunday school, went through uh, uh, the, the Baptist Youth Fellowship. I did all of the things in church uh, that, that, that one would do when one is raised in the church. Um, and the pastor, uh, as I was growing up, his name was Reverend Colors. And Reverend Colors got this great idea that he was going to start a ministry for the young boys called the Junior Deacons. And that pissed me off. I was mad. Mm, I was mm. a 10 year old girl and I was mad because those junior deacons that he was wanting to do stuff with, you know, they didn't do jack, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like active in church and I wasn't going to be invited into that process because I was a girl. Mm. Because girls weren't called into ministry. Girls weren't allowed to be leaders in the church in that way. I could serve on the altar gill. I could be a deaconess. I could serve the server. I could serve the servants, right? But I myself could not hold those type of positions. And I didn't understand it. And as a 10-year-old girl, I was like, anything a boy can do, I can do better. I have done it better. And um, just, just really frustrated with that. But didn't give up. I mean, it, just grew up in the church. I mean, there was this thing called uh, the Good News Club uh, that was like after school Bible group for kids and stuff like that. Miss Rossi uh, was my instructor for for that. I, I give I give Miss Rossi and and uh, Reverend Colors and um, Mrs. Colors was my Sunday school teacher growing up and for for two different grades and and you know it, it, there's this, this formative years and everything. Well, time moves forward. I'm raised up in the church. Grandma gets sick. Grandma dies. And um, and so uh, my mom's not able to take care of us. Um, I'm a teenager now, young teenager, but I'm a teenager now. And um, getting ready to go into high school. And, um, and my dad then comes and he's gotten his life together, sorted out all his demons and those type of things and comes and, 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 and gets his children. And we go out east, back east, and I finish up high school and college in North Carolina. Now, my father is now a Pentecostal um, holiness member of the church. He's a deacon. He's all these things mm. and everything. So I moved from the space of being in the Baptist church, the missionary Baptist church, um, to this space of Pentecostal holiness. Now, um, people make the grand assumption that all black church traditions are alike. And it's an assumption that is not true. And it's a big old assumption that's not true. So I went from a church where, yeah, people, um, you know, might've said, 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Clap the hands after the choir did something lovely mm -hmm. or after the youth performance and everything. Might have clapped along with the music. And that was about exuberant as they got in church. Right. And and that was live and that would be on lively moments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we moved to the Pentecostal church and there's people literally jump in pews and that wigged me out and that mm. confused me. But, you know, and it was interesting and it was really interesting because they were like, you know, um, and I was I was baptized when I was young. I was baptized at six. I mean, I have a whole story about when I accepted Jesus into my heart. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, th th there are moments in, in in our Christian faith where some folk are, are are converted by the burning fire, the Damascus Road experience, and other folk are are, are converted um, because they have always sat at the feet of Jesus their entire life, right? And I, I think that um, I've had those moments where I've had the burning experiences of of connection with christ and that's this aha moment because as methodist christian we know that our faith is renewed daily mm. but i also know that i've never not known jesus right if that makes sense if oh, I've, never, it... I've never not known that jesus loved me and that mm -hmm. becomes really 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 pertinent in my faith journey because when I move with my father, the Pentecostal holiness preacher, he becomes a preacher while I live with him. He gets ordained. Um, he's about 40 something, 47 ish when he gets ordained and everything. This is, it's beautiful and everything. But when I moved in with them, they didn't think that my baptism was valid. Um, and they said, well, we'll rebaptize you. And I, this is where I, I, it's funny to me because I'm like, I was Methodist before I even knew I was Methodist. Because I was like, oh, no, the first one took, it's good. As a teenager, I'm telling them, no, I don't need to be rebaptized. The first one took fine. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and they were always frustrated because I never joined the church. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I was like, I was a part of it, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, I believed in the message per se, um, and, and everything. And, 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 and I think that what kept me in those years was the fact that I could tell they love Jesus. Right. And I grew mm. up in a house with people that love Jesus, Yeah. but it became yeah. problematic when, um, I realized in my young body that, um, that I was not having the same feelings for boys as I was for girls that I mm. was, uh, that I was, attracted physically, emotionally, um, dare I say spiritually to, to, to females. But I had enough sense to know from just being in these people's presence that that wasn't a good thing to share with anybody. So yeah. I did. Yeah. And, and so I experienced life in church in, in, in ways that, that were harmful, that were um, painful. I mean, and, and, and I don't know, for folk who may not be familiar with Pentecostal tradition, one thing that they love to do is they love to lay hands on people. They love to pray over people. They, um, and I, I have taken that from the, right? I have the anointing with oil, the laying on of hands, the, the, the being in the presence of prayer with people, the, the, the act of healing touch. That is a beautiful part of the tradition. And, 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 and it, it needs to be embraced, I think, by, by all of us, right? That, that, that the healing touch and the power of prayer and, and the connection with people in the praying them through whatever is going on in their life. The, the, the problem is the judgment that came with the lady on the hands and um, mm -hmm. and and the problem. So I had I would always go up with this 
unspoken prayer request. And my unspoken prayer request was because I wanted to be delivered from the sin of, of homosexuality. I wanted to be mm. delivered from the sin of, uh, of my attraction to other women, other girls. I, I, and I never spoke it because I knew, I knew that would, I would never get out of church until I was delivered. Mm. I had enough sense. But at the same time, I was struggling with, now if Jesus loves me, you know, why do I feel this way? God loves me. Why was I made this way? Something's wrong with me that keeping me from being fully who God wants me to be. And um, and so this went on for a long time. And I remember then there was a revival and they had this preacher come. And I'm going to use some sharp language, Derek, because it was sharp language from the pulpit of the church. I remember I was ushering at this revival and the church was packed. And I mean, cause that's what you do in the summertime. You go from church to church, from revival to revival. That's what you do down South, you, revival season. Mm. And the preacher's preaching. And he says from the pulpit with the microphone in his hand, ain't no faggot gonna get into heaven. God don't love no faggots. And I said, well, damn, in my head, I didn't say it out loud. I said. Yeah. So I'm damned. There is oh no hope God. for me. The, these people, they think that I'm, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not love, I'm not redeemable, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's that redemption, right? That we say that grace, but oh, not grace for me, but not for thee. Yeah. And, and, and so I was distraught. I was destroyed. And I was uh, 16 almost 17 year old. No, I was 16. Cause it was after my 16th birthday. It was a summer. I was a 16 year old mm -hmm. girl. And I went home from that revival that night and, um, I attempted suicide. And, um, the next morning I woke up and I will say, I said, well, damn, Effie, you can't even kill yourself. Right. And so, um, I said, okay, oh, well, I guess I'm meant to just suffer this away then. And so I went around, I think it was a while. It wasn't, it, it was months. It wasn't, a, it wasn't years. It was months. Um, just with this inner turmoil, um, trying to figure out where my space was in the midst of creation and what my purpose was and why did God make me this way? And so we, I knew that I, I couldn't die right. So that, that, that option was off the table because it didn't work. Right. And, and so, yeah. I just remember one day I was in my room and I was just so done. I was so done. And I, I was just, I was, I was depressed. I was, um, self-hate was real. All this stuff was happening. And I just remember my grandma saying, Jesus loves you. And I remember, and I was like, and I heard her, right? I mean, this sounds crazy, but I heard her. Jesus loves you, baby. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. They, they told me no faggot. It's going to get in heaven. God don't love no faggot. And I hear grandma say, Jesus loves you, baby. And I said, and so I prayed and I prayed a prayer. And this was a simple prayer. And I said, God, I love you. And I'm struggling with understanding why you don't love me back. Mm. So I need you to either fix me or give me peace. Cause I can't live this way. And, um, so this is one of those, this is one of those conversion moments, you know, kind of like uh, John Wesley uh, over his Aldersgate experience, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm laying on my bed, I'm in tears, right? 
uh, I'm, I'm the 16 year old kid and I'm done. And, uh, and I, Derek, as God is my witness, this heat, like this Holy Ghost fire, like the tongs of fire that they talk about on the day of Pentecost. I didn't see tongs of fire, but this heat, this warmth came mm. from like the bottom of my feet and it moved all the way through my body. And as the, as the heat moved through me, the anxiety and the self-hate released. Mm. And I wasn't filled with peace. Mm. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, this is good. You know? And I was like, okay. I still had enough sense not to tell people my business, but I wasn't, I was no longer listening to the nonsense that was coming from the pulpit that was having God, that was placing, picking at God, picking and choosing uh, on who was worthy of love and who wasn't worthy of love. I, I, you know, I, 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 I knew that when I asked questions in church and they told me I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't uh, ask those questions because I just had to have faith that I was like, okay, whatever. Life goes on. I'm living my life. I'm finishing school. I realized early on that I'm going to college because I can't live here forever. I can't live here forever. This is, I can't, this can't be my life because there's no freedom here. And so um, I study hard. I, I make, God makes a way. And you know, I, that, you know, that, that saying God helps those who help themselves. We know it's not in the Bible, but there is truth behind it. That's why it's become a saying, right? Um, uh, and so I worked really hard on making sure that I had the, the, the tools needed so that I could be successful in college. So I went to college. Okay. Let, let's, let's take a pause here. Cause Effie, already you just, um, your story is just filled with so, so much that I, I, I want to make sure people yeah. hear, and I know they heard it, but yeah. I mean, I hear my story and your story, yeah. both uh, the great grandmother that that raises you and 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 makes one comfortable if i could say it that way in the house of god and the ways that all of that gets short circuited yes by homophobia in the church by homophobia in the church but you want to know how good god is though right Come i mean I, I when i say i heard my grandma's voice i swear to god you can't tell me that you know, God didn't give her a divine missive to let her come down and whisper in my ear. You can't come tell on. me that that didn't happen, right? Mm. That that grandma said the baby needs me, right? Mm. Jesus, you good, but they 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 didn't got you confused. <laughs> the baby needs me. Send me down to the baby because the baby, yeah. right? And so, <laughs> yeah, uh. I mean, you can't tell you can't tell me that 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 didn't happen. You know that I, I you know I know I'm using my hermeneutical imagination about that conversation that grandma might have had. Um, with, with God up there, but I swear, mm. Derek, uh, it, it was it was that powerful. Um, I'm gonna jump ahead mm. to when I brought my wife home. Okay, yes, my yes, Aunt yes. Naomi. My Aunt Naomi mm. is like um, the last elder on my mama's side. Everybody else has gone, well, the last female elder. My Uncle William and my Aunt Naomi are the last ones, right? On my mama's side. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was terrified to let Aunt Naomi know, and I was in college, right? It was after college. It was, I was to let Aunt Naomi know that I was, I was gay and mm -hmm. I was terrified. She was just waiting. She was just mm -hmm. waiting. 
And finally, I, I was down visiting her and my grandmother. This was this was probably 20 something years ago because I was in my first appointment mm -hmm. and I was telling her and, and uh, I was probably 25 years ago. And I went and I went and I said, I said, I needed to, I needed to talk to you. And it was it was hard, you know. And she said, baby, we always knew. I was just waiting on you to tell me. We knew when you were 10. It's okay. We love you. And I was like, wow. Right? Mm -hmm. And so that reinforces that hermeneutical imagination of Grandma Effie called, speaking to Jesus and saying, the baby needs me. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so so back to back to college, right? So I know let's I go to, to college. Yes, yes, let's yes. Go back to college, right? <laughs> so in college, um, I applied to the school call. I, I it was like I was there was like Western Carolina. There was uh, ECU, ECU. We call it ECU. Caleb's alma mater, ECU. Uh, at Appalachian State, right? Appalachian mm -hmm. State. I even applied to UNC Wilmington. I, UNC Wilmington wasn't necessarily an option, not because I didn't want to go to the beach, but because my dad often worked in Wilmington a lot. And I'm like, I could run into him on the street. I want to go somewhere mm -hmm. where I know that I'm going to be free. Yeah. And, yeah. And, they, and they will have to call me to let me know they're coming. They just can't show up and, and find me, right? I, I, they, mm -hmm. it's gonna, you know, if they show up, if they call, drive four hours, five hours, they're going to call somebody. They're not going to waste that kind of gas. They're going right? to need to do some work if they're going to see you. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. and, and they're going to have to inform me, right? Yeah. So that I yeah. can prepare myself for the presence. Um, and I'm, I'm like, I need to make sure that folk know I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong in college. I had to, I had a work study. I had all, I had two jobs. I was, I was studying. I wasn't a party animal. I wasn't going off doing crazy stuff, but I just didn't want them showing up in my life without me being able to prepare. Yeah. Um, so. So I, I ended up at this school called Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, located at 3,333 feet above sea level. And that was that was where I went to school, um, received my four-year degree from Appalachian State. And so that, that they drove me up to college uh, that first, August of that first year in August of 1990. I get dropped off. I don't, or I don't even know if you were born yet, Derek, but I was. <laughs> I, I was 10. I was 10. Okay. Okay. And so, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and, so, and so I get dropped off at Appalachian State University and, um, and I am uh, unloading. My stepmother has gone somewhere. I have no idea. I, I find myself alone in my dorm room with my with my dad. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? He says, well, we need to talk. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, hell, I've made it all these years without him talking to me about sex. And now he wants to talk. I'm like, uh-uh, I don't need this conversation. Not today. Mm -hmm. Not today, Satan. Mm -hmm. Not today. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, he, and he sits down. He says, baby girl, baby girl, I just... I just need to have this talk with you. I'm like, yes, sir. And he said, uh, I just need you to make me a promise. I said, okay. He said, promise me you'll go to church. And I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, daddy, I'll promise you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go to church. Sure, not yeah. a problem. Uh, and, and so and so that was never problematic for me because, you know, mm -hmm. but I answered quickly because I thought he was going to talk about, you know, I didn't want to have that talk with him. Right. Um, I avoided that for years, you know? <laughs> and so... And so, but my father, and to this day, anybody can tell you if I say I promise, it's you, you count it as done. 
right? I'm a woman of my word. If I promise you something, it's gonna, I'm going to come through with it. I'm going to follow through with it. Um, so, so that's what happened, right? So we go off to, I, I go off to college and, um, girls on the hall, we decide, you know, that's not, oh, the kids on the hall, wasn't that a TV show? Anyway, I digress. And so, <laughs> and, uh, so the, the, the girls on the hall and we were just going around to different churches trying to figure out which would be a good church. And so it's interesting because, um, once again, it's Boone, North Carolina. Uh, you need to understand that it's the mountains in North Carolina. And um, it's at the time it was more rural than what it is now. Uh, this college has really taken over the community. Um, but, you know, 30 years ago, it was it was a, it was a space that um you know it was it was it was what it was but um so go to i go to i go to i go to appalachian state and go to different churches and you know some churches you know they were too eager and i say that because my brown skin they were just so eager they were so eager to have a brown person in their in their congregation you know they yeah. didn't want, they were so you know what i'm talking about derek it's that oh, eager, I know. it's that overly friendly like why are you so happy to see me Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know you. You don't know. I, I mean, there's one thing to be in a welcoming church. It's another, you know, you know, it, it, it. anyway. So uh, that those were like, yeah, I don't know if I could do that. And so one day in my freshman year, in the first semester, probably um, it was after the beginning of the Gulf War. One of my friends said, I'm going to go to the Wesley Foundation tonight. Would you? Would, there's a Bible study we've been invited to. I'm going to go check it out. You want to come? I said, sure, I'll go to Bible study with you. You know, I count the Bible study as one of my church dates, right? So I can sleep in on Sunday. I would go to church. I went to Bible study. That mm -hmm. counts. Mm -hmm. yep, <laughs> so, yep, yep. so I mean, Bible study at six or church at eight. You know, I'm thinking six p.m. is better than eight a.m. So, uh, and so I went to Bible study, and the pastor at um, uh, the the campus minister at the at the Wesley Foundation at that time was Shelley Wilson, and um, so she's leading this Bible study, and I, you know, by then I had I was done giving asked some questions, you know, because you know I was told that that meant I had no faith. But something was said, and I don't remember what it was. I really don't. I, I remember the reaction of the campus minister. I tentatively raised my hand and I asked my question. And she stopped the study and she looked at me and she says, wow, Effie, that's a really good question. Let's explore that some more. Now, Shelly did not know <laughs> the, um, the healing offered in those words to me. She didn't know that. I mean, unless she's listened to your podcast, she probably will never know. But when she said, wow, Effie, that's a really good question. Let's explore that. It was like somebody that had reverend in front of their name had absolved me of the sin of curiosity. Mm. And, mm. Um, and I said, okay. So, so you know, so I, I started going back to the Wesley Foundation for Bible study. And then I started going back to the Wesley Foundation. They would have a Wednesday dinner and uh, you know, it was either if if you were really poor, it was free. You know, they 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 made sure you ate. You know, even if you didn't have, I think it was three dollars to cover it at the time. Mm -hmm. They made sure you ate. Mm -hmm. That was lovely. So went to the Wesley Foundation and everything, and eventually, you know, I just started hanging out, and then went to uh, Boone United Methodist Church. Uh, at the time, Boone United Methodist Church was located directly behind the Wesley Foundation, and so. Um, Went to there and everything, and um, uh, the pastors over there were, uh, were uh, Rusty Inman and Sarah Kalish. Uh, 
And uh, you know, it was it was it was it was a good, it was a good thing, and that folk were welcoming, um, and they weren't so happy to see me that I was like, "You've never seen one of me before," and they weren't, <laughs> and they, but they weren't offensive. Like, "What you doing in here, brown person?" Right? It was mm-hmm. it was like church, you know. Welcome yeah. to this space. We're so glad you're here. Here's a bulletin where you know you can sit up in the balcony. You can sit. Be, welcome. There's coffee hour after church. There's food. You know, help yourself. We we want to make sure you feel like you belong here, right? Yeah. Without making you feel so terribly uncomfortable. And so, I I I, I started attending. And this is this is this is a this is a very profound moment. The first Sunday I attended Boone United Methodist Church, there was a couple ushering. I don't remember their names, but I remember what they were wearing. Um, they were wearing like uh, these matching green blazers and he had on like a, a reddish tie and she had on like a reddish scarf. I'm, wonder, I'm thinking it's probably around because it's, it's probably around Christmas season during Advent or something. They're, they're dressing for the holidays or something. Um, and I am. Um, and I go in the church and I, and I go up and, um, and I'm sitting in the balcony with the Wesley Foundation kids and the choir sings. Oh, four thousand tongues to sing. And so that's a good hymn. That's a good hymn, right? Pentecostal church don't sing that, you know. Baptist church, that's a, that's that, that's oh for that. That's a Wesleyan. We don't do that, you know. Mm. <laughs> we don't sing oh four thousand tongues. I had never heard that hymn before, right? Singing that hymn. So that's a nice hymn. Choir is good. Mm-hmm. Then they get to this part called this thing called the, the the Apostles' Creed. I was like, what's that? What's that thing? And so it's in the bulletin. I'm reading the I'm reading the creed. I'm like, oh, well, I believe that. I believe that. Oh, I believe that. Okay, this is good. And then the pastor, the pastor Rusty stands up and um, he begins to preach a sermon on Psalm 23. And the pertinent thing I remember from that sermon was he was talking about how the phrase, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Uh, he's like, that's not in the original Hebrew. It's yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, because Jews don't fear death. It's the mm. shadows that get you. It's the things in the shadows that cause you harm. You harmed after that, mm. right? This is a sermon from 1990, Derek. I remember mm. it. I remember it. It was the moment that I realized that I had been Methodist my whole life and didn't even know it. Come on. In that moment, in that sermon, in that space with the couple wearing the green blazers and the matching colors and the red (laughs) and the matching red scarf and tie with the choir singing a beautiful opening hymn of 04,000 tongues to sing with the pastor preaching from the 23rd Psalm. That's the moment that I realized, not that I became a Methodist, but that I realized I was a Methodist my entire life. Oh, wow. And so... And so, um, but I give Reverend Wilson credit for getting me to that space that I would be willing to go into that space, right? Yeah, to getting me to the yeah. place where, because acknowledging that questions were good mm-hmm. and that they, are, they were worthy of being explored. Not that questions were bad and needed to be silenced because you lacked faith. Hmm. Was, hmm. So that was deep. So, so, so my walk uh, and the Methodist train was 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 in that moment at Boone United Methodist Church uh, in the winter of 1990. Um, I didn't join the church right away. Um, 
that took some time. Uh, but I had found a place where I could transfer my membership. Now you need to understand I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 20 now and I moved to North Carolina years ago. And I, and, I, and, and, and I found the place where I could transfer my membership from second Baptist church in Paso Robles, California. I, mo- I found that place where I could transfer my membership from. Cause I knew that that was where I was supposed to be in that space with those people. So that's my Methodist journey. Effie, we have needed every word, every word of this story. Long, but that's... <laughs> we, we have needed every word. Um, gosh, thank you for sharing. I, I, I imagine some of this, the, the question I'm gonna ask just picks up sort of where you left off in your story, but we're gonna leave out a lot because we only have so much time. Um, you live at an intersection. You know, you you eventually become. Uh, you eventually go to seminary, and and um, where did you actually go to? Seminary? I went to Boston University. Boston, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and I did some time at Har- I did I did some coursework at Harvard. There's this thing called the BTI, the Boston Theological Institute, where yeah. you can be enrolled in one school of theology or seminary, and then you are free to take courses in the other ones. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, so um, I was blessed. I was blessed to experience some different. It's tr- some 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 instruction from different people from different areas. Yeah, and and so you eventually become a United Methodist elder. Yes. And again, we're skipping over way too much, but yeah. I, I, I'm interested in this intersection that you live at as a woman of color. Yeah. A queer woman. Yeah. And a pastor. Yeah. With a family. And I, this is not rare, but I don't know if we hear that story very much. Right. And um, so, so uh, I was ordained in the Western North Carolina Conference, North Carolina Annual Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and for years, you know, especially in the South and for years in Methodism, we have lived with the policy, don't ask, don't tell. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, if stuff was found out because you told the wrong person or you shared your information with the wrong person, um, then then you could be you would be removed. Right. Or you'd be brought mm-hmm. to charges or something like that. And in my call story that we didn't talk about, one of the things was that when God called me, I was like, "Nah, I can't do this work because they don't want me. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I was like. I said, you know me, God, you know all of me. I'm like, I'm not church, I'm not pastor material. I'm black, I'm female, I'm gay. I, 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 you, they don't want me. Mm-hmm. And I heard God say, um, I'm calling you to be the best FE I created you to be. And I was like, okay. I said, so if that's the case, you're just gonna have to make a way because mm-hmm. you know me. Yeah. And I can look back over my 26, almost 27 year of ordained ministry and I can see uh, the way that God has made every day. Wow. Right. So, so, um, so I just, I just, I just told God when in the call that you know me and I can't live a lie. Right. So, and thus we have it. Um, and, uh, so, uh, 
years ago, me and my wife were roommates when I was in seminary. We didn't date back then. We 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 paid rent together. And that's what roommates do, you know, pay some bills, make living arrangements so that you don't have to like live on the street and get educated. You can actually have a roof over your head and stuff like that. So um, we um, and and we later in our roommate life, we developed feelings for each other that never were actualized. And then years later, she reached out to me and I was like, oh, okay. So we became friends again and we were talking and everything. And then that progressed. And so I was like, okay, so what am I going to do with, um, with this? Right. Cause this is a new place. This is a new station. And so Tara and I, you know, we had, we had reconnected. Uh, my best friend was getting married and all kinds of stuff was happening. And mm-hmm. then, and so Tara ended up coming with me to her wedding and we ended up seeing each other face to face as opposed, and this is before, you know, we, 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 this is, this is cell phones were new at this time. And you guys need to understand that the, the advent of technology in today's day and age was not happening even 15 years ago when, when Tara and I were reconnecting. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and so, uh, we, I see her face to face after talking to her on the phone. And I was like, ah, damn. (laughs) So our, our relationship, you know, progressed a little bit further. And, and what we deduced was where we were being, where we were, where we were heading. And I was like, okay, so this is different than the other relationship. This is way different. This is, this is, this is, this is a lot. So let's process, do we want to, do we want to create our family or household here in North Carolina? Do we want to create our household in New England? How do we want to go about doing this? And, um, and she's like, I, I, She's a therapist. She's like, I can move by, I can, I can get a license anywhere, but therapy, therapists need it everywhere. I can get a job. And I was like, you know, I can, I can get a job too. I said, so, so we both deduced that we'll just put our hats in the ring and whatever door opened, right? That's where we would maybe head. And also Derek, I had, I was experiencing burnout. I didn't know it was burnout. I thought it was a crisis of call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, cause I had, I had been in this gig for a while by then. And I just, I was, I was tired. Yeah. And uh, I was like, am I called to this anymore? And so, so I was, I was struggling with that too. And I, and it was like, am I even going to be in ministry in two years? Am I going to be doing this work? And am I going to, you know, and, it, and I want to say this too. It wasn't because I was serving in a horrible space. I was serving this church called Saints Home United Methodist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Saints Home, for that appointment for me, it was like I was at the home of the saints. Those people uh, were beautiful black people and they loved me and I loved them back. So I just need to make sure that that is, that that it wasn't, it wasn't because the, the, I was I was done with these people, but yeah. you know I had had some hard appointments before. There was some realignments, and and I was on a charge too, and I had some realignments with that. Mm-hmm. And um, they had taken one church off the charge and gave me a different church, and I was like, oh man, they took my baby, you know, and all of that. And and it was a good call. It wasn't like they were saying I was being punished for anything. It was a good call. The church went station and all this. It was good. It was good work, right? So. 
we're not mad about it, but at the same time, it's like, how does this reflect on me in the ministry and work that I'm doing? And in this space, in this space that I'm at, and a lot of stuff. So I was like, whatever God leads, you know, and everything. And so I get a call from New England and I, and they're like, I got this church. Um, well, well, let me go. I, I also had made a point with my bishop. This was before I got a call from New England, made an appointment bishop, and I wanted to make sure that I, I asked his blessing to seek an appointment in another conference because I'm, I'm, I'm of the black church tradition. You do not overstep authority. Yeah, you do it yeah. the right way, right? Yeah. All these people that go around trying to find a, a job elsewhere without letting people know what you're doing, I don't get that because it's, it's, it's a means of respecting the persons whose God has placed over you, right? right. So I, I made an appointment with Bishop. Bishop Goodpastor was my bishop at the moment, at that time, um, Larry Goodpastor, mm-hmm. um, who lived into his name. I, I love that man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to, I went to, I made an appointment. And I remember Bishop Good Pastor asking me, he says, is there anything that we did to make you want to leave, to cause you to leave? And I, I, I was honest, but I wasn't, right? And I looked at him, I said, Bishop, you've done nothing to me to make me want to leave. Right? <laughs> Bishop, you've done nothing. <laughs> so, 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 right? And I hear it. I, yeah. And, and I don't know if he heard it either, but then also there's like Bishop Charlene Payne Kammerer who ordained me twice, right? Mm. Uh, she's done nothing, right? And actually she was one of my references that I used <laughs> to, 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 with, you know, out, you know. And mm-hmm. so, so in my experience in serving in, in the United Methodist Church, I have been blessed with bishops and Episcopal leadership that has seen me and I have been blessed with folk who have caused me to grow in other ways. <laughs> Um, but so, so, so Tara was looking for jobs in North Carolina and I was, I had sent my information in and to seek an appointment in the new, in the New England conference and whichever was to happen. And once again, right now, so I get this call from New England and they're asking me, they're asking me, um, if I would consider taking a halftime appointment. And I was like, what? And I was like, how much is halftime in New England? And they told me, I said, what? I said, I got to think on that. And so I thought on it. So I sat down with pen, well, pencil, paper, because, you know, I can't do math and pen ink. I have to do pen, <laughs> use pencil. Uh, and I laid out my bills. I laid out what they were talking about paying me, calculated what taxes and Social Security would be off of that. And I'm like, I could actually, I could do that. I could make that work. And I was like, okay. And so um, that's how it ended up in New England. Uh, burnout, <laughs> burnout preacher willing to take a halftime appointment in New England, in Maine at that. Uh, took a halftime appointment mm-hmm. in Maine. And I want to say that I went for, I, I took, I was making one third of what I was making in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. one third, maybe one third. Mm-hmm. It could be one quarter. But you need to know it was significant. It was a, and uh, and it was funny because my clergy friends, you know, they were like thinking they were like, "Well, I hope she's worth it." I'm like, "One, she is, but this has nothing to do. This move has nothing to do with my relationship with Tara, right?" Mm-hmm. So, so because we once again, she was moved to North Carolina and and find her job. It was whoever got the job first was going to move. So, mm-hmm. so my relationship. But me willing to take this appointment was all about me. Because I had to talk to Tara, too. I'm like, look, girl, this is, 
can the poor effie you know the financially destitute effie work with you you know you know am i still cute because <laughs> I, I don't have money anymore right all right. these things right and and it worked and i come to i, I came to new england went to maine and I started this little church in Oakland, Oakland, Sydney, United Methodist Church. And God blessed. Hmm. I served as a, a in a halftime appointment, which means I got to sleep. I got mm-hmm. rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to engage with the community in new ways. I could say no to things because I was half time. I didn't have to. I learned how to lead differently. Um, and I did some side hustles and I realized, no, I, I am. Actually, it was my mother-in-law before she became my mother-in-law. She came up to church one Sunday and she's, you need to understand, she's Roman Catholic. She's devout Roman Catholic, Irish, first generation immigrant Irish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she comes to church one Sunday. And she's sitting there. And I come home back to the house after church. And I hear her talking to Tara and I hear her say, I don't understand how Effie thinks that she's not called to do this. She's amazing. And I was like, oh, shoot, okay. All right. Okay, God, uh, I'll, 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 I will folk, I will, I will listen, I will hear that. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm still tired, but I'll hear that. And so I served that halftime appointment for seven years. And I did, I'm like, I grew that church. <laughs> I grew that church to when I was when I left church, we were having 104 people in worship on Sunday. And you need to understand now for Southern people, that's like what? That's what? Now for New England, that's like I, I made I made a small country church, a small town church into a, a large a large church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we 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 grew significantly, and and wow. um, and things happened, and, and it was it was a good appointment. So uh, I and I was I was healed in that space. I was, how I say it, um, those places that of fatigue and just pure exhaustion with ministry were rebirthed in that space. Now, I, I need you to understand, it was a halftime appointment, which meant that that church was having financial problems, it was having retention problems, it was having all kinds of stuff. It wasn't, Oakland was, wasn't perfect. It wasn't a perfect community. It wasn't a perfect church. It wasn't perfect but they were working toward perfection, right? In the Methodist sense, right? They were striving to be perfected in love and they were willing to learn how they could be advocates in the community. And that's what brought forth revitalization because their willingness to see where God was leading them and who they were calling, being called to be in the community. Effie, I need, I need more time <laughs> with you just to hear more of your story, but I want to move us uh, towards the significant events of the last few years in our denomination. And 
Um, I'm wondering, were you a general conference delegate? Uh, no. Okay. So how did you hear about the outcomes of the special session in February, 2019 and the passing of the traditional plan? I was sitting at my desk in my office at York and Gunkwood United Methodist Church in York, Maine, mm-hmm. <laughs> on Live Street. Yeah. And I, I was like, what? What? Mm. What? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, damn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I um, and then I cried. Hmm. And then I got mad. And then my wife called me because she heard about it. She was at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she she called me. No, she wasn't at work. It's 2019. No, she was at home with the boy with the baby. Mm-hmm. We had the, by then I, I we our baby. She she was like, uh-uh, what's going on with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all that. It was all yeah. that. We were we were in a we were in a place. We we're like, what the heck just happened? Well, we mm-hmm. didn't say heck. We said what the hell. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. So might even say something a little bit more more crispy than that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it rhymes with truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it had to percolate, and then uh, Bishop Devadar—he was Sudeshan Devadar was our bishop at the time. Um, he released a, there was some—he wrote something quick. It came out quick, and on across the annual conference, and we're like, all right, okay, this is where we're at. What we gonna do? And then that, and then that year at annual conference, New England wrote um, proposal that we were not going to follow that, <laughs> that we were going to, um, we were just, we were just not, we were going to uh, protest that by just not living into that. And um, it was uh, the judicial, bo- the judicial council immediately said that that passage was unconstitutional, and we said, and uh, so is, um, you know. It's any uh, discrimination is antithetical to Christian teaching and antithetical to Jesus's teaching. So you know, um, and I think Jesus supersedes the judicial council. So, <laughs> so we um, we 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 still live into that plan. And mm-hmm. um, and then we had elections for um, the following for 2020 uh, at a general conference, mm-hmm. and. Um, Many of us received calls uh, from persons in high leadership. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but people that says, I would encourage you to run for general conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we did. And so you have um, in New England, all the clergy delegates in New England are queer, out mm-hmm. queer, out and queer mm-hmm. uh, um, for general conference. Mm-hmm. Uh we have uh, lay persons who are queer, who are, it, it, trust me, it, 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 our, our delegation is the queerest and the youngest. We have two delegates that are, that are affecting our, our age because of their, their seniority, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's a beautiful thing to see the, young, the younger persons in the delegation, the lay persons that have stepped up and mm. their refusal to be silent. On yeah. issues of justice, it's just beautiful. Everybody on our delegation 
was centrist to progressive. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. on our delegation. Mm-hmm. And so when we met, we all had common ground to start with. Yeah. So that we could continue to, so that we could begin processing the work that we wanted to do, not just in the annual conference, but for general, general conference and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. Quite powerful. Quite amazing. Wow. So, so yeah, and, 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 and like New England is like the Western jurisdiction in the Northeast. Like, well, <laughs> and and it, it, there are similarities for sure, but I, I've experienced a uniqueness about the New England New England Annual Conference and the Northeast jurisdiction more broadly. I um, definitely a commitment to moving the church forward. Definitely a commitment to um, diversity and inclusion and a sense of equity that I that I that I but but. What's different about the Northeastern jurisdiction is the the influence of a more traditionalist um, form of United Methodism is definitely more more experienced in New England and 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 the Northeastern jurisdiction than in the Western jurisdiction. At right. least from what I've seen. No, you're correct. Yeah. You're correct. That's why I say New England is like. The Western jurisdiction in our little area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Northeast yeah, yeah. jurisdiction. No, the Northeast jurisdiction. God bless us. You know, um, mm. uh, love to scream progressivism, and at the same time, we don't even know how to come together. It, it, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we'll get to some of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Then, you, know, you, you elect this centrist progressive delegation. Uh, we hear about the protocol and then uh, COVID uh-huh. shuts everything down. Yeah. And we've got these delays in when we're going to actually have general conference. And I'm just curious, like, did, how did that impact your delegation? How did that impact um, work of pushing back against the traditional plan? Um, was was the the pause helpful or was the pause did it cause more harm? So so one of the things New England Conference did was um, we created this thing called a Vision on the Way Forward, and it was a commission in the in the in the conference, and it was designed to go throughout the annual conference and to speak to church communities, church bodies in their districts that they were at, and to have conversations about what churches felt about the traditional plan, where they felt they were, to, and, and to ask questions about um, the life of the conference and, and, and where folk were at, right? Um, and, and, and to question whether or not as, how would New England, and this is before the uh, Judicial Council ruled that conferences couldn't leave as a, as a chunk, right? And so if New England would stay or go as, you know, and, and, and the church. And um, so as the vision on, as the commission on the way forward was working, um, the, um, the delegation to general conference, we were figuring out what, you know, what committees we were going to serve on. We were meeting um, monthly to figure out what it means to come because everybody's young. Many of us have never been to general conference before. Our delegation head, well, last time he was at general conference, he was a youth, he was elected as a youth. Um, 
you know, and 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 so and so it was like, okay, let's get our minds around how we're supposed to do this, and let's get everybody trained up. You know, let's learn us some Robert. Let, let's learn us some learn us right some Robert's rule of order. You know, let's 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 figure stuff out so that when we get to annual conference, we won't be ruled out of order, and we'll be able to speak the language of what's happening so that we can see about making things change. Right. Um, in this season, also what happened was Church of the Resurrection, Adam Hamilton um, convened 600 of his closest friends from, <laughs> from around, the, around the conference to talk about what the hell happened mm -hmm. and um, and what, what kind of progress that was going to make. Because the folk that were really floored, believe it or not, I mean, you know, queer folk were heartbroken, but the folk that were really floored were the centrists because they just knew that they could come up with some kind of something to hold this thing together. And when they realized they couldn't, mm. they were heartbroken. I mean, they yeah. were devastated. They were, they were like, Oh crap, what has happened to my church? Not right. realizing that this had always been the church. Mm -hmm. They just didn't realize it because they had been so busy straddling the fence. How are we going to move forward? If this is the life of Methodism, how are we going to move forward in this? This is 2019, 2020 before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to how are we going to do this? And then um, and and how we how are we going to how are we going to shift all of this stuff? And how are we going to be the church? And how are we going to be the church for all people? Are we going to be a safety net for folk to be able to come to be rescued or to be you know redeemed from wherever else they're serving? How, how are these things going to work? And then. Um, and uh, I, I then was invited to Missouri, St. Louis, by the, U, the then United Methodist Women for their annual convocation, right? And as soon as the plane landed, a couple of days later, everything shut down because of COVID. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so we had done all this work in preparation and then COVID happened. Well, COVID was happening. We didn't know it. We sh everything shuts down. And we're like, now what? And... Mm -hmm. um, during COVID then, what happened with the delegation is that we figured if general conference was going to be postponed, we still needed to know where our where our congregations in our annual conference were at and how they were going to, to live and be and so forth. So the vision full, out of our general conference delegation, um, the uh, Jay Williams and a few as a lead delegate, as a head delegate, Bonnie Martin as the first elected lay, and Becca Garrell, who is also um, um, uh, uh, she's the secretary of our delegation. Um, they convened folk from our delegation to to work on this process called um, the Vision Forward Team and to figure out how we in New England were going to live as United Methodist Christians, right? And um, because we were not we and, and so went on a listening tour talking to people as they call it the the, the the folk in the conference who have positions and roles that have are key stakeholders yes we could talk to finance and and the and the um and the trustees and 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 personnel and all those kind of people but what about the committee on disabilities what about the um what about the camping and retreat ministry people what about the people who um who serve in, in missions, right? And so, so deliberately having these calls with these different groups of people to see where they saw the annual conference. Where were we together? Where were we divided? Where did they feel heard? Where did they feel silenced? Where are the silos and how do we move away from being siloed to actually being connected? And so the delegation then 
called all of these meetings and, and worked to, to try to figure out how we could make our annual conference um, more connected. How do we live into this vision of connectionalism? And it's a beautiful thing. So between between the um, between uh, the, um, the the team that was working on do we stay or do we go, and the folk and the, the general and the jurisdiction and, and the delegation having these meetings within the life of the conference, um, we were overlapping in connection with people for different reasons. But at the same time, we were hearing these stories of realizing mm -hmm. about how we as New England. Um, are vital to to the not just the history of Methodism in the United States, but also that we're still vital and yeah, that we still have yeah. work to do, and that the role of the church, uh, yes, is shifting, but it's still necessary, and mm -hmm. and that we and that there's a place for all of us at this table. Yeah, with so many queer people on our delegation, mm -hmm. um, we realized that we've been waiting for something to happen since 1972. We mm. couldn't continue to wait um, for something to happen and something to change, right? Uh, without saying what be the change you want to be. So the idea is that, okay, so just because general conference is on hold doesn't mean that our annual conference needs to be stagnant while general conference is on hold. We still are active ministry. We're, we're still an active ministry. So how are we going to do this? And, you know, with the invention of Zoom and all these other lovely things that are taking place in the life of the conference, uh, in the life of the world, per se, um, it was easy in that sense to have, and, and actually you have more people show up because they don't have to leave their house because New England Conference is vast. It comes from, the you know, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire to Northern Connecticut, right? And everything in between, it's vast. Yeah. And so people don't have yeah. to leave their home. They may have to go to church to get a better signal, right? <laughs> yes. Right? Or they yes. might have to go, they might have to go outside somewhere to get, you know, because you know, once again, broadband is questionable around around here and especially in rural places. But we were able to reach more people because of the that opportunity, that that chance. So so yeah, the, all that stuff happened during and and and, and these conversations we reported last year. Uh, last year at annual conference, the report was offered by um, uh, the Vision Forward team, you know, and it was voted that that work continues. And the report was offered by the commission that was do we stay or do we go? And what they deduced was that. Um, we we ain't going nowhere, right? And and that wasn't because the persons who were chairing that commission or that that group um, came up with that. That was the comp compilation of the evidence that they gathered from the members of the annual conference, from the members of the churches in the annual conference, right? So they talked to members mm -hmm. in the churches. They got the members in the churches to answer polls. They got the members in the churches to take key ownership of what they questioned. They answered questions about 2019 that that in ways that were more intimate and that invited folk to ask the questions, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, they living into that. So, so yeah, so in New England, we have some churches disaffiliating 
but we don't have the numbers of disaffiliations that other places have. And I duly, I truly credit the work of um, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Adama Brown and the Reverend Dr. Hope Lucky for going around doing this commission work of do we stay, we do we go, and mm -hmm. also the delegation with the the vision, the vision forward team, and 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 making sure that people who had normally not been invited to the table had opportunity to air their concerns, to bring forth ideas of transformation and not have it just go out into the ether, but to have it be incorporated in the, in, in the process, that, that the things that we are looking to do in the New England Conference. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a ton of sense. Okay. And I imagine there are people who are both thinking about some next steps, even as we continue on this journey towards General Conference 24, but also thinking about what they may have wished they had done. Mm -hmm. I, I know that when before Suda retired for, for the third time, uh, <laughs> God bless that man, um, that he has shared that there were some annual conferences that were interested in the work that we did. And I say we, I wasn't on either one of those teams, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, I can't, I'm not taking credit for the work of the the Vision Board members like Jay, Becca, um, I uh, think it, uh, um, Bonnie and um, the other team members. I think Amanda and um, Lee. There's, there's that, and Claire from from the delegation on who who did this vision vision forward work, and then um, helping at Dama in the um, in the in the commission whatever work to see do we stay do the we stay or do we go work right? I wasn't on either one of those teams. But I, I benefited from the conversations and I benefited from the questions asked and I benefited from um, answering the surveys and, and being part of, you know, the conversations about what do stakeholders have? What ideas do we have to offer to the conference to grow in, in new ways? So I can't take I'm not taking credit for their work. Wow. Let me be clear with that. So as we get closer to General Conference 20. 20 that will be in 2024. Yes. What does that general conference need to be about? That general conference needs to be about how is the United Methodist Church going to live into the gospel tenet of love neighbor, love God, love self? How are we going to make sure that we, as we spread the gospel of grace, that we live into that John 3, 16, 3, 17 passage? God loved the world so much that God gave us God's son, that whoever would believe in, the, in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send God's son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. Or the world might be transformed, or the world might be renewed. We can, we can, we can, we can figure out how that that last part, right? But that John three sixteen three seventeen passage, um, in the in the renewing of the world, in the renewing of of the mind, in the renewing of of the church, right? Because all the world sees about the United Methodist Church right now is that we hate gay people. And so I spend a lot of my ministry, you know. Um, telling people that God loves them with an everlasting love, right? I end every service that I do, wedding, funeral, Sunday morning worship, I don't care. When I give the benediction, I tell folk, God loves you with an everlasting love. If anybody tells you different, they are lying to you. Why? Because when I was 16 years old, a preacher stood in the pulpit and said, ain't no faggot getting into heaven, God hates faggots. 
And I said to myself, when I became a preacher, that nobody's going to leave my church feeling as hopeless and helpless as I felt that day. So for me, General Conference 2024 needs to be a place and a space where the church can profess that God loves you with an everlasting love. Wherever you are at in your life, whatever station you have in your life, whatever place you are at in your life, that you are a beloved child of God. Now, it, where you're at in your life, if, 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 if there's things that need to be, at, what do we call as Methodist Christians, sanctified? You know, my mm-hmm. grandma used to mm-hmm. say, make it's like being a Christian is like being um, be, being made into butter, right? You churn it, you pat out the sour water, you churn it, you pat out the sour water. And in the end, there's this sweet tastiness that you just spread over your bread and it melts in your mouth, right? But in the process, there's work, right? None of us are perfect, but we are being perfected in love. Own our sin, own it, confess our sin, confess it, and remind folks that no one is excluded from God's love. No one, no one. That's what I want General Conference 2024 to be. And if I have to stand on the street corner in Charlotte and yell it, I will. I can, do it, I can do it in the accent because that's where I'm from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey y'all, God love you. <laughs> Effie, in our last few minutes, yeah. why are you staying in the United Methodist Church? Because in the winter of 1990, when I went to church, because my daddy made me promise, I walked Mm. in the door and I met that couple. They were wearing matching green blazers, him in a red tie, she in a red scarf. And the choir sang, oh, 4,000 tongues to sing. I never heard that hymn before. And it was beautiful to me. And the preacher preached on the 23rd Psalm and reminded me that I didn't need to be afraid of the shadows of life anymore because God was with me even in the shadows. And then the part that I didn't tell you in the earlier story is that God whispered to me, welcome home. So I'll be damned if anybody tried to kick me out of my house because God put me in this house. And I stay because God called me here. Mm -hmm. I stay because God led me here. I stay because God told me this was home. That's why I stay. Effie. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your story and your perspective. And and I, I just think that people are gonna be deeply impacted by the whole arc, the whole arc. So thank you so much um, for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. I, I know, um, I know I like to talk, so. Uh, this was this was gold. This whole thing was gold. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 
Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time.